1: Good morning and welcome to Autism Live on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm so thrilled and happy to be here with you this morning for a lot of different reasons, Uh, is that our guest today is truly, uh, she's just a rock star in my mind and you know how sometimes in life you, you get introduced to somebody's words and it changes your life. And our guest today is someone who wrote the book that changed my life. And the fact that I now consider her a friend is is just always still, I gotta keep poking myself, you know? Um, and so if there's somebody that you wanna get to know and, and that you're hoping and and that's made a difference, I'm just gonna tell you it's possible. It's possible that you can get to know um, these people. Everybody is still people, do you know? Uh, Becca, hello. Uh, You're only going to be here for the first half hour. Well, I'm thrilled that you're here. And um, we're shouting out to anybody who's watching, you know, uh, write in and tell us right now who you are and where you're watching from or whatever you'd like to tell us. That's all good. We are live right now. It is Wednesday. I'm all discombobulated on my days because we changed our schedule. And so much of my life has been about, you know, well, it's Wednesday because it's Ask Dr. Doreen. Well, now that's Tuesday. So it is Wednesday. It is the 19th of january and forgive my befuddledness but we are live it's 2022 who would have thought uh, and we're live on facebook youtube twitter and a bunch of other sites you can re- be writing into us right i'm uh i'm a gene has written in and said, good morning, good morning to you too. So thrilled that you're here. You guys are gonna love this guest. She's really remarkable. Uh, But we also, this show is gonna be available as a podcast later on today. It is available for free download wherever you get your podcasts. We are still in 2022 rated the number one autism podcast worldwide. We're really grateful to all of you. Good morning, Michelle. So excited that you are here with us as well. Traven's showing you some of the other places that you can either, you know, listen to the show or places where you can download the podcast. If you find that there is a format that you wish we were on and it and you can't find us there, would you please let us know? Also want to let you know that we are available on Bronxnet TV, regular TV. And if you would like for us to be in your area, please hook us up with, with whatever your cable access channel is. We we do that for BronxNet. We'd be happy to do it in your area. Um, just make the introduction for us. We're, we're happy to do that. Look at that. Look on Tuesdays at 830. I don't think I even knew that. On uh, Tuesdays at 830 on BronxNet. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm talking about. Kirk, good morning. How are you? We're so thrilled that you're here. Uh, I want to get to our guest as soon as possible. So let's just sort of power through. I always love to give you guys the disclaimer that Um, you know, we're Autism Live, our, our goal always is to provide information and inspiration to the autism community that, and I'm talking about the larger autism community, which starts with people who are on the autism spectrum, of course, but we include everyone who loves those individuals. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the autism community. So that could be all kinds of people. That could be husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, siblings. It could be neighbors, it could be aunts, uncles. It could be teachers. It could be people who are practitioners. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it could be absolutely anyone. We hope that that will eventually be the entire world because it should be um, that the entire world loves, accepts, and and encourages and supports individuals who are on the autism spectrum. End of story, right? We're not there yet, but we're working there. Uh, Kirk, hook us up. Uh, So uh, let us know, and we'd be happy to be on their channel as well. Uh, So also want to say that because we're now on the Autism Network, uh, Ask Dr. Doreen is its own show on the Autism Network, and that we are hoping to bring you many other shows on the network, including we are working towards um, a new show, Called Stories from the Spectrum, which will feature only voices of people who are neurodivergent. It is content by and for individuals who are neurodivergent. We are—we uh, keep telling people that we're what we're setting up is a sort of a 60 minutes uh, format, so that there will be lots of little segments that will be uh, hosted and featuring different people who are neurodivergent. So we'll, we'll have more information about that coming to you, but we're hoping to do our first episode of that. Um, which I'm very, very excited about. And uh, to that end, the Autism Network is right now running a contest. We are trying to, if you've seen the, the logo for the Autism Network, it's just a placeholder. It's just a black and white square that says the Autism Network. Now that's not exciting. That doesn't stand for what we're trying to do here. Um, and But we believe here that it's very important that we put our money where our mouths are, and that if we are here about making sure that we support individuals who are on the autism spectrum, then that includes employment and and building resumes. So, when we have work, we are um, especially we, I have a particular interest in nurturing artists because it's hard enough to be an artist in this world, but when you are someone who's on the spectrum, if there are more things in your way, then we want to be a part of helping to move those things away, which is why the opener for our new show was compre- completely music to animation um designed and created by individuals who are neurodivergent and very proud of that so we are running a contest right now for someone to design the new logo for the autism network there is a 500 dollars honorarium for the winning design we are only taking submissions from neurodivergent artists so if and that could be any age and you could be anywhere in the category of neurodivergent. Uh, and But if you consider yourself neurodivergent, we will accept your submission. There is a, an entry form, there are guidelines. You can write to info at autismnetwork.com to get those. Giafranco, Franco, so happy to be here with you. Thank you for being here. So uh, we've gotten all of that out of the way. I also like to tell you, we have lots of experts here on the show. We have one that's gonna be joining us in just a few minutes. I am not an expert i am a former teacher i am a mom a very proud mom of an individual who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half um i adore the ground that he walks on and i live to be an ally to this community but i am not an expert uh so i i you know i have a strong opinion i've been covering autism from a journalistic standpoint for well over a decade and I have very strong opinions and I like to say that they're informed opinions, but they're just opinions. So please don't mistake me for one of the experts, but do mistake me for someone who cares deeply about whatever part of this community that you're in and helping you to Find that hope, inspiration, and the resources that you need, and it's not one-size-fits-all. So, okay, having said all of that, let's jump right into the jargon of the day. This is our sort of warm-up on Wednesdays and Mondays. We uh, take one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the Hey Nani Nani are those experts talking about, and first we give you the actual definition when it's appropriate we make fun of it with its additional jargon then we move on to our working definition to try to crack this thing open and and have us have an understanding of what it is that we're talking about because we know that jargon while it really can slow you down if you don't know what it is if you do know what it is it can speed things up for you so that's why we take these things on so today's term is hyposensitivity. Now, if you were watching on Monday, we did hypersensitivity, and I promised that we would do the opposite ends of the end of the spectrum. So let's take a look at what our actual definition is. I'm going to guess that there's not much to be made fun of here, but uh, let's take a look hyposensitivity is an, a marked absence of reaction to everyday stimuli. Okay. it's I don't think there's anything to be made fun of there. It's not full of extra jargon except stimuli. Um, but I don't know that it gets us really close to understanding what it is we're talking about. So let's go ahead and look at our working definition here. So hy- hyposensitivity is underreacting under to sensory inputs such as pain, loud noises, et cetera. So when we talked on Monday about hypersensitivity, it's somebody who's really reactive. So, you know, if if somebody, you know, those air horns, those, oh, those horrible air horns and you're at a sporting event and you're sitting next to someone and they blow the air horn. And, you know, we we would say that the typical reaction is that, you know, everybody's going to jump a little bit, right? But for some people that, that jump and that noise could be so debilitating if you were hypersensitive, that you could be doubled over in pain and not able to get back to the game, even within an hour that would be hypersensitivity on the other end of it someone who's hyposensitive could be the person who sits there and is blowing it blowing it blowing it and having no reaction because to them it's not there's there, you know it's not any louder in their nervous system than me talking right now and so what's interesting is that you can be hypersensitive to some stimuli and hyposensitive to others. And I think a lot of times we forget that, that each and every one of us has this system and it's very, it's like you know dials in, in a mixing board and we sort of level out at different places for different things. And if you think about it, it, it it becomes who we are and what kinds of things that we like to listen to. Because if you love like a really, you know, big bass drum and a bass guitar, then you're going to listen to your music in a certain way and you're going to go to different kinds of concerts and you're going to find yourself drawn to different kinds of events, right? But if you're somebody that that for me um, like when a car goes by and it has that bass thing, it gives me, uh, I have a heart me and it sets it off and it makes my heart beat kind of funny. So, you know, I have a hyper sensitivity to that and I don't want to be around things that are really loud and bass. I avoid those things. Right. Um, but think about with hyposensit- hyposensitivity, what are the kinds of problems that we run into if someone is hyposensitive to pain? then you know you could think of that and think oh well that's a really good thing except is it because what happens is they keep doing something even though they're hurting themselves and we see this a lot with people that um you know they'll they'll get a bruise and you ask them how did how did you get that And they're like i don't i don't really know because they're not they weren't sensitive enough to feel the pain that was happening and they kept doing a repetitive motion So I think the biggest problem though, is making assumptions. That sometimes people make the assumption that individuals who are on the spectrum are one or the other. And you can so easily be wrong. And if the person isn't able to communicate what they're feeling, then we are guessing. And that is a dangerous place to be in, right? There are telltale signs that will help us to know if someone is hyper or hypo hyposensitive. Um, you know, when we see a loud noise and we see kids cover their ears and double over, I think that's a reasonable thing to say they're uncomfortable and in pain when they're hearing that noise. Um, I think we don't catch the hyposensitivity as often as we catch the hyper with young kids on the spectrum. Um, But a lot of times when someone sees a hyposensitivity, it brings up a feeling of fear. And and I just want to say, if we can get to the point where we look at all, all behavior is communication. And if we start looking at it that way and looking at it fearlessly, then we can be a better support to people. It took me years. I, I think my son was probably 13 years old before I knew that because he could tell me that an egg carton that's the styrofoam egg carton drives him completely crazy. Um, that that is a noise that he just he likes styrofoam. He can't he can't handle it. Uh, and and I wish I'd known it sooner uh, because I I you know just switched to buying eggs that are either in a plastic container or in the paper the recycled paper ones that we like better. Um, didn't know didn't know, you know? So, I think being really, really sensitive ourselves and watching for that communication from individuals, and and then when they have the ability to communicate, asking, right? But a lot of people, we, you know, whether they're very young kids and don't have the language yet, or they might be teenagers or adults that don't have that level of functional communication, uh, we always want to be working for that. Um, but you know, the truth is, is some some people don't have the facility to be able to do that. We have to be sensitive. Kirk says, My parents could tell I had a headache coming on before I could. So I guess that would be hypo-sensitive. Uh well, you know, I mean, interesting, but uh it sounds like your parents started keying into behaviors that they saw were the antecedent to the headache, which is those, that's some good parents. I wonder if now, Kirk, if now in your life at this point, do you now recognize the, the symptoms of when you have a headache coming on? Because if you think about it, it's very similar to having to go to the bathroom. You know, there comes a point where what we actually do is teach individuals, these are the signals that come when you have to go to the bathroom. That's really the heart of everything with potty training, right? Is recognizing, oh, when your body does this, this may seem unrelated to that moment at the toilet, but they aren't, right? And having that awareness of this happens first and then this happens. And we're all like that, right? I know adults that I get sick on planes. Like I get car sick no matter what. And I have friends that uh, just don't understand that they also do. I have a friend who loves to fly, loves to fly. She gets sick every single time. She never associates it with flying because she loves flying and she doesn't want to associate those things. She doesn't want to be like me. Who's like, oh, I don't want to fly because I get sick. Um, right. So she doesn't put it together. I've flown with her so much. And I'm like, you get sick every time we fly. You get sick to your stomach. You get nauseous. It's the same thing that I get. And she's like, no, I, I fly really well. No, no. <laughs> You know, Uh, she does not want to connect those things. And often, if you think about it, there are things that we eat that we don't want to associate that, oh, I get a tummy ache after I ice cream. I don't want to have that, right? So, um, but we can learn an association, cause and effect kinds of things. Um, So I'm interested, Kurt, do you now recognize before you get a headache what the telltale signs are that your parents were seeing? Um, write in and let me know if you can. All right, let's move on then to our question of the day. And our question for you today: You can write in on whatever platform you're watching us right now. Uh, and thank you for mentioning Daniel Svobodo. I hope he does submit. Uh, what do you have difficult paying attention to? What in your life is hard for you to pay attention to? Like I can tell you that um, I'm very hypersensitive to noise behind me. So if I'm trying to listen to a lecture in front of me and someone is talking behind me, I can't. For whatever reason, even though my ears are pointed this way, if there's noise behind me, I have a hard time on my mixing board in my head of tuning that out and listening to that so i'm you know i'm a front row student but i often sit in the back row so that nobody's standing talking behind me except in some lecture halls where that's where people go to stand and talk in which case i sit in the front row and tell the people behind me to keep it down i'm one of those people in the movie theater who likes to sit in the back so that nobody is opening candy behind me i have uh uh you know the ability to focus but man, that is still hard for me at this age to dial down that noise that is behind me. I also have difficulty listening to a speaker in a very sound reactive space. So if I'm in one of those big gyms that has the big high ceilings, sound bounces all over the place and I have a harder time paying attention. Um, it's just a, it's a me as a teacher because um, I taught for a lot of years, I have to say that I think that this made me more sensitive to my students' needs and where they sat, because I tend, tend, tended to look at my students and go, who needs to sit where? And I was very creative with my seating charts so that I could make sure that my students were in the best place for the type of learner that they were. But that's me. What do you have difficulty paying attention to? Um And, and, and how do you cope with that? Because if we begin to understand that for ourselves, we can be more empathetic for others, right? Uh, moving on. We always have a topic of the week and you guys didn't get to hear the topic of the week. Uh, yes, no, we did the topic of the week on Monday. What am I saying? Uh, I was thinking it was the, the recorded show it's sensory, uh, dysregulation. This is what we're talking about all week long. And that's part of what the hyper and hypo sensitivity is, is that if you are so hyper or hypo sensitive to something, you can reach a state of dysregulation, which is when you cannot get it back under control. I I still can't dial that sound down behind me. Now, can we work on this? Absolutely. Can we help individuals um, to get better at it? Yeah, I mean, I can sit now and listen to something when something is behind me i have tools to do. it's just not my favorite thing and i and i'm not as good at listening if there's something i really got to know then i'm like no i gotta have that stop and i'm so like old and cantankerous and crabby i am the person who will go you have to stop to the person behind me now i you know i imagine that there could be circumstances that i could be in where i wouldn't feel empowered to do that Uh, or that I simply would not be empowered to do that, but then I would try to change my circumstances, right? Um, But we all have a right to get better at sensory regulation when we are dysregulated. And we really wanna be sensitive to individuals who are in the middle of sensory dysregulation and struggling. So that's one of the things we're gonna be talking about. But uh, we have this amazing guest who is joining us today. And I, I teased a little bit before that she's one of my favorite people on the planet. And she did write the book that changed our entire worlds. That uh, Christina Adams wrote the book, A Real Boy. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. Um, It's, you know, it's a, ABA has changed a lot, especially in terms of funding since she wrote that book. But it is the book that got me excited about ABA. And, And it became my Bible for at least a couple of years and i my husband will tell you i i would say oh my gosh someday i hope to meet christina adams and i don't know what i will do i don't know how i will ever thank her for this amazing book because she really laid it out for us and we followed in her snowshoes um to do aba with our son and it's an amazing book the truth is though she has a second book out and it's called camel crazy And I, I, you know, I haven't really said this out loud, but I sort of think of Christina Adams as the Colonel Sanders of camel milk. Why? Because Colonel Sanders, I don't know what he was doing before in his life, but he had a whole life going on. And then it wasn't until he was older, uh, he'd done a whole other thing. And then he went, you know, did Colonel Sanders, you know, he did KFC. Um, And, you know, when I first was introduced to uh, Christina Adams writing, and then later to her camel milk was not a part of her existence yet i guess right after i met her is when she started on her journey with camel milk and her whole life changed and It's an amazing story. I encourage you, like it's a nail biter. They need to make a movie about her life. Um, But I encourage you to read both books, both A Real Boy and Camel Crazy. She joins us here today. She's just returned from an amazing trip to Saudi Arabia where she spoke at the king abdul aziz camel festival that's a mouthful uh it's the largest camel festival in the world and uh they just had their very first camel conference a science and economics conference and her topic was medical benefits of camel products she is an expert in all things camel in particular camel milk for autism it's uh an amazing amazing topic that's taking the world by storm And part of what happened when Christina was in Saudi Arabia was that word got out that she was there and she basically went viral in Saudi Arabia. So we've asked her to join us today and to talk about this amazing trip and answer any questions you guys have if you've never heard of camel milk and, and what camel milk has to do with autism. So please welcome, I'm so proud to say my friend, a wonderful author and amazing speaker and camel milk expert, Christina Adams, back to the show. Christina.
0: Good morning, Shannon and all my friends here today. Uh, I love you all. Thank you for watching and joining. And Shannon, you are as always just a a shining star in this world and it's great to be here again.
1: Well, it's uh, thrilling for us. We also have a series that we did with uh, Christina that we normally play when we're in the studio, we play segments from her Autism and Beyond series. And and we're we're gonna be back in the studio in March and we can't wait to be playing those again, but they're available on YouTube. She's an amazing wealth of knowledge. So um, if she looks like a familiar face to you, that could be one of the reasons why, but also because she's been all over the news worldwide in the last couple of weeks. So. Christina, where do we even start with this? You you went to speak at this conference and a lot happened. Start to crack it open for us here.
0: A, a lot did happen. And I am just so honored, first of all, to be invited because when someone from another country invites you, it's a real um, kind of vote of confidence that you're gonna come over and that you're going to um, do uh, some positive things. So I think it's a really nice thing to be asked And so um, I was asked by the uh, Camel Club of Saudi Arabia, which is a very amazing organization. And then also uh, for this conference, the King Abdulaziz Camel Festival, which is a very large festival, but then they had their first conference about camels. And this is very important because not only are camels like this kind of hiding in plain sight animal, but that, that I say are incredibly valuable culturally, scientifically, economically, health wise, but also um, that now um, this has been a channel for people to become aware of autism and the prevalence of autism and the importance of recognizing the needs of autistic people and their families. So it always um, opens that window into mainstream um, acceptance of the fact that there are many, many uh, people and children with autism and that we need to do everything we can to help them live their best lives. So they invited me to come over and this is uh, in conjunction with the um, International Camel Organization, which I'm a member of. And then also the um, King Abdulaziz Camel Festival. They were all sponsors of this amazing conference. So it was really special. And um, so first of all, when I went to my hotel outside Riyadh, um, I woke up and I looked out of the, um, the window in the morning and I saw camels in the sand. And that is a great way to wake up. And then when I went outside, yes, um, it was just amazing. Uh, there were pictures of beautiful camels um, outside my hotel, they're sculptures. And so then of course I was taken out in the desert at the King Abdulaziz Camel Festival and I got to see these beautiful animals with their keepers. Um, Saudi Arabia is of course, one of the top camel cultures in the world. Uh, camels exist for many, many centuries, you know, in other countries, believe it or not, they actually originated in North America. So. We have a history, but uh, that's a few million, you know, a few uh, thousand million, whatever years ago. But um, this was the Camel Guard that actually opened the festival. I mean, the conference at the festival. So during my first morning, we were honored to have a Camel Guard outside. So that was pretty special. And so then I gave my address along with um, most people that were scientists and PhDs. So um, I gave my address on the first morning. And so I was able to raise awareness of the fact that this whole camel milk industry, which is growing a lot, is largely due to the use among uh, patients and um, people uh, that have health issues. And then among those are, of course, in a large part, um, people and children with autism. Because um, as we know, autism has got a connection in many ways scientifically to immune function. And therefore, anything you can do to enhance your immune function and your food and your surroundings may benefit uh, significant portions of the population of people who have autism. So that's kind of my way to um, kind of. Put these things all together into one big health picture for the world. So there I am, given my address, and there's my son. Of course, he was like the first uh, patient in the world to have. And I use the term patient because that's a medical term, so it doesn't mean like you know you're really ill, sick, and everything. But you know that's just a medical terminology. So he was like the first patient in the world uh, to try camel milk from two different countries, and it had the same incredible beneficial effect on him. So it showed that the camel was the delivery of this you know great milk that uh, now. We we know is scientifically has a lot of validity in helping not only certain people with autism, but also diabetes type 1 and 2, gut disorders, skin conditions, um, other immune or disorders, and those are in the literature. And then now also it's being used for vaccine and uh, treatment development uh, for COVID-19. Camels in the lab, camelids in the lab. So this is a great new development.
1: Wow. Uh, That's just absolutely amazing. And I think there are probably a lot of people who are like, what? I don't know this. I need to know more about all of this. Um, So let's pause for a second and talk about the fact that, you know, we really want to encourage people to read Camel Crazy to hear your story and understand why this became uh, one of the biggest things in your life. Like, uh, you know, way back when you this was not in the plan. Did you ever (laughs) You know, when you, even when you were a mom and and had your child, I don't think this would have ever crossed your mind that you were like, oh, and then I'm going to become a world expert on camel milk. Like it wasn't part of your thinking, was it, It, Christina?
0: It it wasn't really part of anyone's thinking because back then it was after my book, A Real Boy came out. And so I was lecturing and doing all this stuff, you know, for um, that, um, that book. Yes, there is. And Shannon, thank you as ever for your kind words about it. I'm really glad that people are still reading it. Um, And so no way. I mean, I knew that milk was a real problem for my son and many, many other people. And this was regular cow milk, but also goat I had tried, things like that. Um, It would actually really bother a lot of children with autism and they would have their symptoms that were not things that we wanted to see increase, like sleeplessness, irritation, tantrums, all that, skin issues. So the milk had always been a problem. And when I met this camel at a children's book festival, and I just talked to the camel guy, um, I didn't have any idea that I was going to enter into this entire world of camels, camel milk. And now I'm really an advocate for the cultures and the people that have camels and the animals. So um, who knows, but I'm just saying, you know, autism is a, a situation that can isolate we as parents and the people have autism and we have so much to share with the world we want to still engage in the world and so the fact that I reached out and I kind of asked questions and I and really people from other cultures were very key in helping me and so when you reach out to others and sometimes people from other cultures uh, they don't let that be a barrier and and this is what we need in the world we need people to come together and solve problems Together, And I've always found that people are very, very kind to me, especially from other cultures. They really, a lot of cultures are very child centric. They really get the importance of family and culture um, and family um, and kids. I mean, you know, family and like having that family be healthy and and they're more community in some ways than America, you know, we're pretty individualistic. So sometimes there we are stuck in our houses, raising our child. We get left out by society in school. Um, I have found that people from other cultures often are much more empathetic to some of our issues. And I have found that they have just been the kindest people. So this really took me on an odyssey to research the camels, the milk, and I ended up making great friends with people from many cultures. So um, it's been a real privilege. What a beautiful montage. Thank you for showing this, Shannon. So after the uh, festival, which was amazing scientific gathering, then um, I did a ton of media and uh, we went viral on snow, social media snapchat is very popular in Saudi so um some younger person put me on snapchat and and people when i walked into rooms after that were like oh you're on snapchat you that's <laughs> you i'm like oh wow cool so um then um it was really fortunate i got to go to this amazing camel hospital um perhaps one of the largest animal hospitals in the world i got to speak to autism families and i will say also that um, It was really great. I got to meet some Bedouins. I went and milked their camels. You can see me lower right with a wonderful Bedouin um, host. Uh, I went out in the desert and we discussed camel milk and stories. Uh, One of the people in this group, the first group of Bedouins, which you can see the picture on the right, um, his mother, his grandmother, uh, not the one you can see, but another gentleman, his grandmother left her tribe as a teenager. She didn't like living there in Saudi Arabia. She took her camels and she walked and walked for four months. There was no water and it was not good. So she lived off the milk and then she settled by herself in a place and she lived off camel milk and not even water for four years. Wow. And then somebody from her tribe found her and they said, please um, come home with us. And she said, there's no good water. Um, but they helped her get home. The woman is now 100 years old, over 100, and she's just now starting to not feel well.
1: Wow, absolutely amazing. Yeah. So I, I started to say, if somebody wants to know more about the camel milk and the benefits of camel milk, uh, I, would, I would definitely tell them to start with your book, Camel Crazy, but they probably the best place for them to come to is to, to you, but how should they do that?
0: Well, uh, because uh, I know all the questions that everybody's going to have about camel milk and, and they wanna know how much do I use? How do I get ready for it? Where do I buy it? How do I prepare for it? How long do I give it? you know, On and on, how much do I take? This is all in the back of Camel Crazy and it's a user's guide that I put in there just for you. And then for the people that are interested in the journey, Um, And especially, I think that some of us who have children um, and it's kind of, you know, we've had to focus on them. It's really good for us to read about what we still can contribute to the world and how we can participate. Uh, So I think that's a good story, Um, but then, I would just say, read the book, and then if you need any, any information or whatever, you can reach me on all my social media. Of course, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook a couple of times. Uh, my website is christinaadamsauthor.com. I also do speaking. If you have a book club or events, things like that, feel free to reach out. Um, but then also, um, you know, there's other, other things that, um, that you can do. Um, you know, you can certainly um, talk to your local autism societies or things like that and then maybe they can have me do a speaking event so we can reach more people all at the same time. Um, When I was in Saudi Arabia, I was fortunate to be contacted by uh, Princess Samira al-Saud, and she is a remarkable uh, human being. Uh, She has a son with autism and another son with schizophrenia, and she set up a center, and uh, I think the proper name is uh, the center for... um, Oh, I got it here among my papers, but it's the center for... uh, Hold on here. Got it. Lots of... Lots of events happen there. So I'm trying to keep them all straight. There's the uh, the Quality of Life Center in Riyadh. And so um, she uh, kindly um, got in touch with me. I visited that center, which is very high quality. It's all about life skills. And they live a very good quality life there. And she knows that they want to expand autism services there in Saudi Arabia. So uh, we went on a bit of a speaking tour. And uh, we had a lot of um, incredible things happen. We spoke at a big gathering in Qasim, which is a really nice part of Saudi Arabia. And then I spoke to autism families at the uh, Society for Autism Families that she set up in Riyadh. And uh, it was very nice. They had a thing called, um, you know, my experience with my autistic child. We had a lot of families turn out, even though it was a rainy night with short notice, And um, somebody in there said, yes, I gave my son camel milk and he started to get a lot better. And he was doing this and this and this socially that he'd never done. But then he didn't want to drink the milk anymore. So I don't know what to do. So uh, it was nice to hear that testimonial. And then I also spoke with some other lecturers, most of who have PhDs and are scientists, and I knew about their work. I met them in person and it was just such an honor. And they knew about my work too. So to make those scientific connections was really special.
1: Uh, it's such a remarkable story. And I, and I do want to say, because I know that you won't toot your own horn, but um, if you were somebody even, you know, as as soon as eight years ago, if you were saying, okay, well, I'd like to try camel milk for my child, you, you would have had to jump through such amazing hoops. And of course, in Camel Crazy, you detail some of what you had to do to be able to get camel milk legally into the United States in a way that your son could drink it um, because there were so many hoops to jump through. Um, But because of the work that you have done, Christina, it is now pretty widely available here in the United States that there are even some places where you can buy it. um, Am I right? Like in a Whole Foods market, you can buy camel milk now?
0: You can buy camel milk in many grocery stores, even ones like Bristol Farms. And um, there are some smaller markets that have it. And then there was a store in Beverly Hills that was selling it for $30 for a um, 16 ounce bottle. Um, So those things are all great, but I'm actually saying that it's really nice to contact the farmers and get it from them because that way the money goes straight to them. And uh, then you can ask all the questions you want. And it's a little more affordable too. Um, But plus it is great now, as I talk about in my lectures, you know. I really consider this my son's legacy because my work with camel milk really helped set off the whole movement around the world. But that is my son's experience. It's just my duty to carry that forward. And um, so, you know, he is just, I tell him, you know, you've always left a huge mark on the world and you're still leaving it. Um, So now the camel milk market is projected to grow seven to 10% over the next 10 years. And this is an economic forecast. So, Yes, it's still out of the mainstream. And I always say, people say, why isn't FDA approved? Why isn't it a drug? Why isn't this and that? First of all, it's a food. There is no money in making a drug out of it unless you put like almost maybe a billion dollars now is what it costs to make a new drug and get it approved. So a drug company isn't really incentivized to do that because, you know, they can't patent a milk. So um, I do hope someday they will do this. But on the other hand, I'm in just favor uh, of favor just drinking milk and keeping those animals on the land. Uh, it's also very important to pastoralist cultures in our own country, America, and then other countries like India, um, Africa, the Middle East, um, places in um, Europe. Like this animal, a lot of people depend on it. Like when I started this, Shannon, like you said, did I ever dream of this? Heck no. But it turned out, like I thought camels were part of history or in Egypt, you know? Like the pyramids, so I had no idea there were still all these cultures out there that depend on the camel, and um, it's just really been amazing. And um, the milk is really great; I drink it almost every you know every day if I can, every week myself. And uh, so I just think it's really now that we care about health and biodiversity and climate, supporting small scale farmers is really important. And supporting camel milk is pretty much as a sustainable product as you can get because they're much healthier for the environment than cows. They take so much less water. uh, They put out so much less waste. And it actually helps women, too. Because a lot of times women will benefit from that milk money and they can spend the money on their children, even their girl children, which in some really challenged areas, you know, um, girl children don't get those advantages if they don't have the money versus boy children. So this is just a good social thing to do all the way around, in my opinion. And uh, you can certainly, you know, um, hit me up on social media and we'll chat about it all day long.
1: There we go. Um, And, you know, I find it interesting because there are other things like kale. You know, there's been a big push about kale, Kale's so healthy, kale, kale, kale. And we don't talk about making kale a drug. Um, You know, we, we, I, I think we need to get to a point where we all recognize there are people who say that what you eat does not equal how you feel. I just don't understand where they're coming from because we know that's not true. If you drink a pint of beer, it's going to affect how you feel. And that some of us, it's interesting, you know, we've been talking about hyper and hyposensitivity. Some people are more sensitive to other things than other people. I can't drink cow milk. I drink cow milk and I break out into hives. This is not, uh, you know, this is not everyone, but I can't do that. And, and we've seen that there are lots of children on the spectrum and not on the spectrum that have reactions to cow milk. And we can talk all day long about, is it what the cows were fed? Or is it? Some is it the protein in the milk? We can talk about that forever. But the fact remains, there are a lot of people who can't handle certain substances. So it only—I I think logically—it only follows that some foods are different for f- and better for other for people than others, and some foods are just better in general for for most of the public. And camel milk—it's not a big surprise. I mean, for generations, they use camel milk to help heal lots of different ailments right
0: yes they have it's known as nature's pharmacy and uh, pastoralist and bedouin people have used it for centuries and i've even seen it in since i started digging back into the old literature you'll see like little references to the milk um you know oh somebody was sick in egypt and then they went and they got it for free you know to give to their sick family member and this is still happening to this day by the way in many co- countries um but see it just it's just a big picture and it makes sense because now let's talk about autism for just a second in light of what you said. We know scientifically, because I'm always digging in the literature, that there are considered to be at least six subtypes of autism medically. So that means they're all different and they all have different things. And as we say constantly on this channel and those of us in this world, autism is just a thing that, you know, it it doesn't describe you as an individual. It doesn't describe your unique biology. And we all have a unique biology. We all have differences. And so that's why these broad pronouncements are not really accurate. Um, That's why certain foods do affect certain people. I mean, we know this, but again, food is not a commercially rewarding category for, people to make big money out of it for investors to go in on it. And, you know, so healthy foods are a niche and they're great. But to to show that a food has a certain effect um, and be able to claim that you have to make a study, you have to then make, you know, all these trials, you have to spend a ton of money. So really, it's just very good to eat a good variety of foods. And if dairy doesn't affect you, great, it doesn't affect me one bit. But I do notice that when I have camel milk, I just feel good on it. And so it doesn't it doesn't hurt me, but it probably helps me a little bit, and it does help our immune uh, system in many many ways. Because there are so many people out there now that I hear from. Uh, you know, I don't make false medical claims. I never do that. But anecdotally speaking, that just means stories. There are people that tell me, you know, I couldn't walk. I couldn't get out of bed because I could only down to. I was only eating like five foods. That's all they could tolerate. These are adults with severe food and gut issues. They got on camel milk and they were able to survive and thrive and increase the amount of foods they can eat and function again. There are people like that out there. So, you know, they're not autistic, but they just have their own thing. So, you know, find what works for you. You know, you can investigate, you can try different things, but you have to find what works for you. And, you know, let's just all be sensible. You know, let's listen to each other and we'll all be sensible. That's the bottom line.
1: And, and in that vein, talking about sensible, um, you know, you're not advocating for people to go out and guzzle um, camel Milk, and it is expensive, so you wouldn't want to do that. But you do really need to get the back of uh, Christina's book out and take a look at what the recommendations are, because the recommendation is not to drink a lot of it. It doesn't take a, a whole lot um, to get the effect that you're looking for. Um, so you'll, you'll definitely want to read that. Um, yeah
0: just so you can see how easy it is like this is the book itself it has some beautiful pictures so it's actually a good book for children and families to read together you can learn about other cultures which is one thing that i wish we all did more of and an animal that's really cool but then this is the back just the appendix the user's guide and i've got it all here very easy so um guzzling camel milk is a great thing but uh if you don't have a camel it can be a little bit pricey habit so
1: there you go there you go but You know, talking about this trip to Saudi Arabia, um, you know, I think sometimes we get insular in our own experience and think, I I know I've described in the beginning years of having a child on the spectrum, I felt like I was on Mars by myself. Um, And then we start to realize that there is a community of people and that there there are more people than we are aware of. But I think often people don't realize that it isn't just in our country that autism is happening. It happens around the world to people of all different types of cultures. And it certainly hasn't bypassed Saudi Arabia. There is a a large autism community in Saudi Arabia. Talk a little bit about that.
0: Yes, I'd be happy to. So doing my research for this this particular uh, trip I came across the new numbers in autism that just happened to come out around that time. And so, uh, the top 10 countries in the world for the highest rate of autism, and again, is this, this is just on the available data. So, you know, you can talk about data accuracy all year long. But the top 10 countries in the world for the highest autism rate, according to data, are in the Middle East. And Saudi Arabia is number five. So, this is a global thing you know in our own country now it's one out of 44 um but uh when you break it down it's actually more than that in the smaller subgroups but this is a global issue it affects everyone. and so um they do have um autism of course we all know that people have in different places but they're kind of in an earlier stage um of addressing it but they are um starting to address it which is great um, they do have some centers there um, but they want to get more early intervention, and they want to get more for adults. And I was lucky enough to have a meeting with the um, department, the Ministry of Education in Qasim, Saudi Arabia, which is a very beautiful um, uh, town. Well, it's actually a, I think a you know broader place, and then um, they have different cities in it. But um, they, uh, I had a meeting with them. There were 27 people in the room. They were taking it very seriously. So um, I was there with Princess Samira and she had a great take on this. She says, if we don't take in and accept all the kids with problems, then how can we fix the problems? And so we were talking about early intervention, diagnosis center, training for AIDS to support the children as they go into school, training for families, and then trying to um, get this more as we do in every country, get this more institutionalized and get more of the support coming in. So I did meet some amazing teachers and officials in that meeting. And um, so they have schools for boys that have autism and special needs. And then they have school for girls and they are looking at higher demand. They know they need more. And uh, they're talking about, they would like to have earlier stage of diagnosis. And then, you know, like most of us and our, when these things start coming in, we need flexibility in how we address our needs of our population and families. Um, and so they were talking about just just like us, we're all one big family. You know, um, we need more inclusion in mainstream. We need more awareness. We need to get rid of the stigma among families. Uh, we need, you know, more official recognition of, and resources. It's the same story everywhere. So I'm really excited to see that they are you know, stepping up and looking at this. And uh, that was just a great thing to be able to do that. And then, um, you know, uh, I did also see another spe- a special needs center. Looked very nice, very well run. Um, I've seen different special needs schools in India and Cuba and America, different places. And it looked very nice, uh, pristine. They have, when you walk in, you know, you see the same things that we have. You see the occupational therapy part. You see the part where you talk to the parents. You see the little uh, pretend um, masjid, you know, which is like a mosque uh, in their place instead of church. Uh, You see the little grocery store area. So for the the play therapy kind of. And um, so it's just a big global family that we're in here. And we just, you know, everybody needs more support across the world. And that's what, you know, we hope is going to happen.
1: Christina, you're just such a gift to the autism community. You've been a gift in my life. And I, you know, I know you're also a beautiful writer and I I just can't think of anybody's hands. I would rather have this in than yours as you travel the world and, and see all these people. And I know you've got so many things and people pushing and pulling and asking you to do lots of things, but I personally think that your next book should be autism around the world and share some of your beautiful stories and your beautiful photographs, because it it really strikes a chord with me that you know when I've had the opportunity to meet someone from a different place in the world and a different culture and, and hear that their mom's heart is the exact same as my mom's heart and that we all want the same thing for our kids to thrive and be well. It, it really strips away all of the other things, all the other ways that we look and go. I, you know, I feel different from this person. We are all the same, and I and I always feel that when I talk to you, when you came back from Cuba, I felt the same thing. I was like, oh my gosh, they're going, they're going through a lot of. I mean, it's always different. It's always different. No two parents are going through the same thing, but at the core, the thread is the same. So I'm asking for a book, Autism Around the World. Uh, take it for what it's worth. Um, but I wanted to take just a second, this, the, uh, what, you know, you have all these stories and these beautiful pictures, um, to talk a little bit about the culture, um, that, and you know, I, I, you, you while you were there, you were posting occasionally, uh, you were always days behind because it takes a while to process what you're doing and then post. So I, I appreciate that because I do the same thing, but, uh, you were, you, I, the things you were seeing were absolutely amazing. And I've always been stunned. The first time that you went out into the desert and came back and said, oh, I sat down with Bedouins. And I was like, you did what? Well, like what, you know, what? What? what's that all about? So talk a little bit about some of the amazing things that you saw.
0: I would really love to because um, Saudi is not a country that a lot of people have been to, even though it's funny, they they have been sending their students here to get education for decades. And um, so not a lot of people have been there, though, that, you know, in the general public. So I was really excited to go. And uh, I think I timed it well, because um, not that I timed it, but it worked out well, because uh, COVID was not, um, not a big, it was still an issue always, but of course, I don't think that uh, it was quite a, a super infectious stage at that time. I think I dodged it pretty well, but I was very cautious. I wore my N95, so I took a lot of precautions. So I'm not telling people to run around out there right now. It's just, I was able to be, make it work. And I spent a lot of time outside, which you can do in the desert. Um, so I would say that, you know, my experience of the Arabian hospitality was just amazing. And every country is usually very hospitable and nice to me. But the Arabian hospitality, I'd heard it was pretty amazing. But it is just in them. From the Bedouins that drove me around in their trucks and bought me beautiful cookies and gave me a beautiful piece of artwork with camels on it, to um, my hosts at the Camel Club and ICO and the the festival, King Abdulaziz Camel Festival. Look at that beautiful plaque they gave me in its own box. they just treated me great. But then I realized this is the in the people. It's their culture. If you like something or you're something somewhere, they'll just hand it to you. They'll just say, please take it, or please be my guest. And then the constant caring about your food. It was so, I can't believe how surrounded by amazing, delicious food and drinks I was at every second of my life. So um, the tea and Arabic coffee and the little sweets everywhere. When I lectured on stage at the Society for Autism Families, Um, you know, that uh, I got this nice certificate from them. I'm on the stage with a neurologist to the left of me. And here comes my sandwich to eat on stage. And my tea is poured while I'm on stage. And I'm like, I can get used to this. (laughs) So um, they are just, they were very generous people. And it's in their culture to treat um, the guests really well. So everybody was super nice. And, um, you know, I can just um, tell you that Any preconceptions that we have about visiting uh, different places or cultures, of course, you know, uh, you're going to have to see what applies to you and what situation you're in. But to me, when I meet people from different countries, um, it always has turned out to be a positive thing. And it has also made me a better host. Um, You know, when I now am in America, I feel like I'm a better host to my own friends and then to people from other countries because I've kind of learned how to be more generous. You know, here in this country, we're a little bit more closed off. But you know, I, I think we could be better um, culturally. Also, a lot of people have asked me, like, what did you have to wear? Yeah. So um, I at the at the um, at the science conference, you know, that is real international thing, and you know, you can just wear you know your clothes that you should. I mean, normally I dress um, more modestly when I'm in um, a science type of arena or a culture. So it wasn't an issue for me. Um, And I do believe now that tourists do not have to wear, or visitors do not have to wear a hijab if they don't wish or an abaya, which is like the long cloak that a lot of the women wear. Um, However, when I went out into the cultures and met with people, I was much more comfortable wearing it because the women do still wear that. And a lot of men wear their traditional dress. Now, I did notice the younger women are wearing lighter-colored hijabs, their scarves, and lighter-colored abayas. And I had a black one, which was very beautiful. It had crystals on it, things like that. And a lot of women still wear the black, you know, the full um, niqab and everything. Um, but then also the younger women were saying, you should get a light-colored abaya. You should get this, you know. Look, I have one that matches this, and it's red or it's yellow. I'm like, man, I come over here, and I'm already behind the times. But um uh, <laughs> With these young people tell me what to do. But it was super cute. And it actually everyone appreciated, you know, what I was wearing. And I do think it's better when you go to a different culture, um, just you know, go with the flow, observe what they're doing and do what you feel is proper to do to show respect to their culture.
1: Yeah. And and again, we have to recognize that autism is everywhere. And um, you know, and and honestly, I can't think of anybody who's been more places than you have been. Uh, Christina, because you you know you've been to India, you've you've been to Cuba. Uh, I- countless other places. So if somebody's watching and we have a big international audience, we have somebody watching from India right now that they've written in and said, Namaste. We, have people, we have people who watch regularly from Pakistan and from Dubai and really everywhere from Africa. So if, if there is someone who's watching, who's like, I, you know, we'd really love to have Christina come and talk. She has a wealth of knowledge, certainly about camel milk, but you know, that that's honestly your newest thing, and you are an expert in camel milk, but you're also someone who can speak very eloquently about other um, autism interventions as well, including ABA, which is largely what your first book is about, A Real Boy, as I've said, person mm-hmm. who got us on the pathway to ABA. I'm always going to be grateful to you, Christina. Always, always, always. So yeah. Uh, If people want to reach out to you because they want you to speak, whether it's in the United States or someplace else, tell them again where they should go.
0: So I'm on Twitter at Christina Think. I'm on Instagram at Christina Adams Author. And my website is Christina Adams Author. I'm on Facebook at Christina Adams Author. And uh, then I also have a Facebook page called uh, Camel Crazy, A Quest for Miracles in the Mysterious World of Camels. Um, So there's about a bajillion ways to get a hold of me, and I welcome it and uh yeah namaste i see sharmila from um is saying that thank you so much and alaikum to my uh friends from uh, you know our um islamic countries and i just uh, send all of my greetings to everyone and um i would like to show you this is so adorable when i was there i was out in the desert and i was on NBC, which is a very large network in the middle east and uh, after filming that um, the host asked me to stay for dinner and never say no to dinner, please, in an um, Arabic country. That would be a big mistake because you'll miss out. And I got them to sign the inside of my book. Oh, so what so beautiful cool. memories, how sweet. And of course, I was. it got camel camel dirt and poo on it. So it's, it's been early christened. So this is probably my special copy now.
1: That's amazing. You know, I uh, for your first book, A Real Boy, I said I carried it with me everywhere for a couple of months. And it, it was so dog eared, it had at everything in the world, it, it had been in the bathtub with me. You know what I mean? Oh wow. So it had gotten wet. And then and then I felt I needed to share with other people. So I always ended up having a couple of copies of your book that I would I used to give to people when they would say to me, um, Shannon, you know, my child just got diagnosed. I would give them your book. So um, you know, I she writes the kind of books that that's what happens you guys you end up taking it with you everywhere i don't know that everybody gets camel poo on them but i i've loved camels since i was a child and christina we keep talking about at some point you and i are going to go and visit camels together i hope that covid gets over soon so that we can do that sometime soon
0: yeah i think we can set that up and then for people that want the books they are for sale on amazon in different countries you can get an ebook and then also um certainly um you know it's you can get it from a bookstore that order it for you so you can get this book and if you cannot write to me and i'll try to set it up so we'll find you a place where you can get both of my there books you, okay.
1: you are a treasure madam we are so grateful for you and for your time and we look forward to hearing what your next adventure is but really autism around the world i'm just saying
0: <laughs> shannon I, I when you put an earworm in my ear i always have to listen so uh, uh, you know, you are uh, amazing, and uh, thank you for having me and for everything you're doing for our world and our beloved people that have autism and their families.
1: I I adore you. I appreciate you so much. So thank you so much for being here. You guys, I have to tell you that tomorrow you're going to want to be here for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We have a wonderful, wonderful spokesperson from CIP International that they they work on the transition time. You're not going to want to miss this because all of our kids at some point are going to transition. So make sure you tune in tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Thank you again, Christina.